I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Mark, I'm so excited today to talk with Heather Cox from Humana and hear about her journey in developing a passion for ethical, trustworthy AI and to hear how she has been bringing Humana on that journey as well. I'm really excited for today's interview as well. Heather has an amazing background, not only in the health sector, but also in financial services. She's been on the leading edge of thinking about how to uh, digitalize businesses and uh, really um, put a focus on, on customers as industry goes through these transformations. And I know that she has taken uh, and led Humana's um, uh, own efforts to adopt the uh, the pledge of Equal AI. And so I'm really excited to hear from her about that experience too. Yeah, I think it'll be nice for listeners to hear about trustworthy AI in the healthcare space where it is a literally life or death decision and, and uh, bearing outcome. Uh, and in addition, I think it'll be really interesting to hear about her work across industry so that no matter what industries our listeners work in uh, or aspire to work in, they can apply some of the principles that she's been using in their work. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Much to explore. We're so pleased to be joined today by Heather Cox. Heather is Chief Digital Health and Analytics Officer at Humana. She's responsible for building Humana's digital care delivery operations and leading enterprise analytics. Heather is a member of the management team, which sets out the company's strategic direction, and she brings 25 years of experience to that role, including serving as Chief Technology and Digital Officer at USAA and CEO of City FinTech at Citigroup. Clearly, Heather has deep experience in shaping customer and digital experience for companies, and we're so pleased to talk about her experience today on our episode. Heather, to start off, with all the various priorities and concerns you have to address every day in your position, how did you decide that combating bias in AI should be one of your priorities? Well, thank you, first of all, Miriam and Mark, for having me today. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, let's jump right in. I, you know, we do have a lot of priorities, but as you kind of stare at the horizon and the importance that we believe artificial intelligence or really augmented intelligence will have kind of across industries, but if we focus on healthcare, um, this is something that, this is a technology and a core set of capabilities that's going to be embedded in every aspect, if we do this well, in every aspect of how you think about healthcare today. And for us, it was a matter of, and for me personally, it was a matter of, um, there's plenty of negative stories in the marketplace about AI going wrong, but there's so much potential upside to AI being applied correctly. And in healthcare, let me be be very specific, um, we estimate that 80% of all data in healthcare is unstructured. Without capabilities like artificial intelligence and core natural language processing capabilities, we could never get to some of the most important data that can be collected and aggregated about individuals and helping them create better health outcomes. So you start to stare at the potential implications and the positive upside and all that we can do to improve quality, create better health outcomes, reduce costs, um, we better get out front of what this AI thing can be about and to make sure that we are intel- in- intentional in how we go about monitoring for bias. 
That's terrific, Heather, and, and really an inspiration uh, to hear you talk about AI in these terms, focusing on both the importance of managing risks, but also the tremendous opportunity that doing a good job of that can bring. Uh, and you're doing an especially challenging task, I think, which is trying to figure out the path forward in healthcare, which is a notoriously complex and sensitive area. It's, it's so core to people's lives and health. I'm curious, sort of what elements of AI adoption and ethical AI do you think are universal across all industries and all places? And what are the kind of particular challenges that face the healthcare sector in getting this right? Uh, yeah, thank you. I, a great question. I think the some of the common characteristics are, right, the core automation of key activities, creating insights that will create the next best action for you to go take, for you to actually have that intelligence now kind of sitting with you at all times and helping right, route you to kind of the, the best point of service for you, whether you're buying a, a consumer package good or you're going to go see your doctor. I think there's a lot of common elements to just let, let me do it with ease, take friction out of the system, and let's find those contextualized experiences that matter to me. AI is going to be core to all of those things. When you start getting into healthcare in particular, right, you've got the whole element. This is a really interesting conversation. I won't call it debate yet internally, but it's a really interesting conversation for us to have where the factors that will prevent bias from creeping in for impacts to individuals where you want to you want to make sure in healthcare you are limiting disparities, health disparities in particular for individuals. Things like race, gender, age are things that you generally want to leave out of models today because of potential bias. But in fact, if you leave those out and de-identify de data, what are you doing to prejudice then your outcomes for individuals or segments of the population? And so it's a really interesting conundrum that we find ourselves in and that the specificity of the data can prevent the bias. The specificity of the data makes people nervous about the bias. And so it's a, a really tough nut that we've got to really work our way through. And, and when you talk about how to work your way through it and being intentional and in monitoring for bias, what are some of the strategies you've used to facilitate that important and challenging work? Well, one, I think part of what we've discovered in this process, well, there's a lot of research happening around the ethics of AI, the practical reality, a lot of, there hasn't been a lot on the execution front to make sure that you at scale and manage this kind of core capability. And so it's rather nascent. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just rather nascent. And so the research is well ahead of the actual ability to execute on a day-to-day -day basis. And so really working closely with other technology partners to make sure that we're getting to the right answer for, in Humana's case, our membership base, our providers, our care teams. We started with, quite frankly, um, the core notion of, of medicine and do no harm, right? We have to start with a core principle around doing no harm. And then as you look at priorities of how would we actually think about that and guide our teams, it's around responsible use of data, it's around fairness and inclusivity, it's around reliability, safety, it's around transparency, it's around privacy and security, of course, and accountability, making sure there are checks and balances in place and that we're acting as thought leaders, and yet we're also making sure that we're not getting out too far ahead of our skis. And so creating those core principles by which we as a company 
will approach the topic of applying AI at scale was a really important first step. I'd say a second step was making sure we have the right people around the table. Um, and you know, you've got a lot of stakeholders here. We've got and just internally, but externally too. How do we bring in the best and brightest in this space? You know, equal AI, AI being a, a big part, a big partner for us, and helping us to assess and making sure we always have kind of outside eyes on what we're trying to do and helping to guide us. Researchers, academic, academia. But then you have internally, we have our data scientists, we have our researchers, we have our engineers, we have our compliance team, we have our legal team, we have, you know, our government government relations team, regulatory teams, and HR teams. All of these are really important components to making sure that we have back to that last thing we talked about accountability, the checks and balances in place, that it's not my um, brilliant data scientists and data engineering teams going off and doing what they believe to be correct, but really ensuring that um, our thought leadership continues, our execution is at, at the highest levels of integrity, and our outcomes for ultimately our members are meaningful and personalized and do nothing to create any further disparities in the health system. Sorry, I, I get passionate about this. So I get long answers. Perfect. It's so helpful to hear your thought process. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, you know, one of the things that we're hoping that uh, our podcast will do is to is to help inspire others and and help them, um, you know, figure out how to do something similar um, as this process you've just walked us through. Uh, if 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 that is what happens, which we hope it is, uh, any advice that you would give to a you know a company that's sort of at the other you know, sort of the starting date of this journey, um, you know, what to focus on first, kind of how to um, uh, make sure that they, you know, move in the right direction, bring their their stakeholders with them? I think um, one, you know, I think studying kind of the what can go wrong elements and some of the big examples that have happened in, in other industries and even within healthcare, um, about a year and a half ago, um, you know, ensuring that you understand the simplest and most um, basic of applications of AI can suddenly go wrong if you don't have the right inputs and the right monitoring and governance. And so this is not a technology that can be left untended, right? This is not pure automation with no learning. It's automation that then creates learning, that creates new insights, that creates new actions. And if you're not keeping track of that, and can have an explainability around it, then how can you trust it, right? You can't have a black box, spit out an answer and feel comfortable, especially in healthcare. But I would argue in any industry, right? In any choice, you're gonna lose trust of consumers um, in, in the consumer marketplace if you're even just buying basic groceries and maybe coming up the road with the wrong recommendations at the wrong time, like there breaks trust. And so then how you apply it to healthcare Again, we're going to avoid any bias from creeping in to prevent, well, how about this? We're going to do our best to do everything we can to prevent bias from creeping in, because I think this is something that, too that we also need to understand. With the best of intentions, bias can still creep into the models, because in the, at the, in the end, it's the humans who are creating them, and you do your best to be objective and try to use a data-driven approach, but the reality is as that individual thought process goes into designing that algorithm that gets built and tested and put into production, well, new data sources come in, you don't know where it's going to go. So please understand the importance of, of the implications of this technology before you even get started. And then start to think about the realities. If you're a public company, 
I would argue that in the next few years, this is going to be very much on the ESG agenda, environmental, social, and governance. What are you doing as a company to ensure you have safe applications and trustworthy applications of artificial intelligence, and how do you know? And when it becomes an issue there, it's going to become an issue from a compliance perspective as regulatory bodies. If you're in a regulatory regulated industry, how are you going to be able to explain the, the decisions you're making and why? And how do you go back and break that down with a, you know, when you're talking about deep neural networks, like this is a complicated stuff and you have to get ahead of it and you have to be prepared. And um, I would just tell you that I think in the end, if, um, if ESG doesn't compel you or compliance reasons won't compel you, regulatory and compliance reasons won't compel you, then doing the right thing by your end consumer should. And that's kind of be, I, I think that'd be part of, if you're out in this for helping make you know, consumers' lives easier, then you're going to want to make sure you're on, on top of this. And um, we'd love to get to a place where we're talking about the equal AI pledge that we took and why we took that, because um, we can't do it on our own either as a single company. By all means, please tell us about why you decided to make that public statement. I think, um, you know, obviously you're very passionate about it, but uh, you're talking about something you see down the road happening, and yet you decided to get ahead of it and make this public statement now. Would absolutely love to take you up on that offer and hear why you decided to make that statement and, and what have been some of the benefits you've, you've obtained in, in, in making that public statement. Yeah, absolutely. I think... One is, is aggressively as we're working toward core digital transformation of our company and the great work that we're continuing. It started many years ago and we're continuing and in many ways accelerating on, on multiple fronts, including in the data and advanced analytics space. And so as we're now just getting to implementing the most modern cutting edge capabilities, call it technology capabilities, um, core tools, and letting our people build in new ways and to kind of really apply what we hope to be artificial and augmented intelligence at scale. Gosh, if we don't plan for this bias piece right now, we're going to be trying to go back and rectify a year or 18 months from now. So it was a great time in our transformation journey and what, where we were kicking off combined with the compelling, you know, the other parts of industry that were showing up to also sign in and up for this equal AI pledge. And um, I'm proud to say that we are, you know, the, the first healthcare company to step into this space um, and to make this pledge. We're excited to be at that table with the, the thought leaders across industry. Um, and quite frankly, um, we think this is a catalyst for the company in many ways. And so one of the great best benefits we've gotten is the conversations that opens up with our partners, right? And so making sure that the partners that we're bringing to the table to participate in this ecosystem, because we can't accomplish all that we want to do on our own. How do we make sure that that network effect starts to get created here where I can trust on the, the algorithms that you're running on the processes that you are helping us drive that I can understand what that looks like and how it feeds into the next part of the process, whether it's downstream or it's upstream. Um, that's really important. And the quality of the dialogue that starts to ensue and the kind of relationship you look to build with companies, I think fundamentally shifts and you get from being a, a, a vendor to much more of a partner and, and oftentimes a strategic partner as a result. So that's one benefit. The second benefit is, gosh, internally, 
we've signed this pledge. Like, what do we, we've got to ensure our money is where our mouth is continually. This isn't a moment in time. This is now from this point forward. And so how do we assemble ourselves, continue to get the right people in the room and around the right conversation? And oh, by the way, have the really hard conversations like, hey, we're doing this monitoring. We believe bias may have just shown up like who gets the final call and is it really bias or is it not bias like these are really important core questions that will rip us apart in debate unless we start to create case law and the small incremental kind of steps that we're taking each and every day and so I think it's holding a high bar for us um, and we are a company of, of such integrity that it's holding a high bar for us and ensuring that we never let the wrong conversation steer us in the wrong direction. We keep on the, the right path. And, you know, just like, you know, rules like seatbelts and wearing masks. Um, if you don't actually have an ecosystem participating, it's not going to be any good if one person does it or one company does this. And so we felt very much a need to show leadership in this space as well across our industry and beyond. That's terrific, and I, I, I can't think of a, of a better encapsulation of, uh, of, of why the badge exists and, and, and why Miriam and I are certainly passionate about it. Um, I want to just focus for a second on this question of um, kind of how you interface with your ecosystem, because I think it's a really interesting point. Um, it sounds like you are using the commitments you've made in the pledge to guide how you work with your partners and uh, that that's unlocked some really important conversations. I'm curious if you see there being, um, you know, a kind of function for Humana or for others who have taken the pledge to, to, to use the pledge and the principles with it as a kind of screening mechanism for who you would work with. You know, do you see this um, also becoming an element of, um, uh, you know, kind of supply chain uh, strategy and, 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 and other you know, ecosystem-oriented activities like that, either now or in the future? Uh, you would, uh, you're kind of in my, in my brainwaves here on kind of what my wish would be for us. And so, you know, the reality is we have, you know, a lot of partners already uh, in place and who are really important to the work that we deliver every day. And um, this is about kind of really starting to stare at the, the new folks that we're bringing in and as contracts come up for renewal, what can we do to really perpetuate this network effect and to create the concentric circles of potential goodness, right? Because one company may interface with us in healthcare, but interface with another company in financial services. Like we need to start connecting these dots. And the only way we can do it is each one of us kind of applying the pledge in some way, shape or form, because um, I don't think there will be an industry, uh, a company, a uh, set of processes in that company that can't potentially be touched by this technology over the course of the next decade. Um, so it's going to be really important that we all hold hands together. So one, I think it will become a screening, screening mechanism. If you're not willing to sign up, we can't have you in the ecosystem because it creates too much risk for what we're doing to create frictionless experiences and better health outcomes. Period, end of story. That is the core of what we're trying to accomplish in healthcare. Re take out waste, reduce costs, improve experiences, create better health outcomes. And um, if we have partners who aren't in it for the same reason as us, then we've got to figure out a new direction to go. Because again, I just, I think this is going to be um, a mandate of corporate investors, right? I think this is going to be like climate change. 
you know, 10 years ago, companies weren't stepping in and governments weren't doing enough. And now you start to see companies really talking about sustainability as a core tenet of how they operate and how they think and, and the people they bring in and what they want to do to perpetuate the view of, you know, a zero carbon world, not zero carbon world. I think we have the same kinds of opportunities here when it comes to AI. I think it's going to be a, a more frequent conversation and a requirement of investors to understand what you're doing, how you're doing it. So just getting ahead of it could be a really, a really great move by, by executives across the country, across the world, quite frankly. Well, and I do hope they'll follow your lead. I think uh, it's really exciting to hear about what that third piece of the challenge. For, so for those who don't know, the first step in the, in the pledge is to test and retest for bias. The second is to take action when you do find harms. Uh, and the third is to ask your vendors and partners to do the same. And as Heather's talking about, in, in some ways, that's the force multiplier. That is the key driver in, in creating change because, uh, like you're saying, Heather, as much impact as Humana has in this space, you have so many partners. I don't think anyone is going at AI alone. Everybody has partners. Uh, and not only do you bring on that risk, you also have this lever of your purchasing power to ensure that your partners are, are going about this in the robust way that protects you and your employees and your clients and patients and so forth. I also think people could learn a lot from the robust process that you put in place to ensure that this was a top-down, bottom-up uh, commitment. I think you know there's so much talk about AI in every industry, particularly in healthcare. And my sense in the healthcare space is it's usually the enthusiasm of all the efficiencies that AI can bring. But what I've seen you do at Humana is this really robust, deep commitment to bring from your senior leadership to each and every employee out there on board as your partners. And I wonder if you could talk us about, talk to us about what were some of the first steps you found important in ensuring that you made good on, on your pledge? Yeah, so I think um, one, having the buy-in of key partners across the enterprise was a really important, as we talked about stakeholders earlier, um, we could not have gotten this far without the support and, quite frankly, downright encouragement of key leaders across legal, compliance, risk, HR, uh, um, inclusion and diversity. Those teams were absolutely critical and actually taking the time with us, right? Because I, I don't think we all sat down at the table the first day and we're on the same page, nor do we think we had a problem to solve, right? But outlining, um, quite frankly, what, what helped us really get focused on this was a combination of a few things. Um, there was one of our, our our industry participants had bias creep into some of their, their intervention models that was really impactful to black communities, black male communities, I believe to be specific. And that kind of highlighted, wow, we, what are we doing to really say, we, we do monitor, we do govern, but are we really as proactive as we could be? And kind of stepping back and saying, gosh, there's more, there's room to improve here. And how do we start to lean in? combined with, on the heels of that, inquiries from Congress where the, the appropriate inquiries, but kind of the, is, is this too dangerous to apply in healthcare? And the reality is there are the risks, as we talked about earlier, but the upside to get to things like social determinants of health, finding out if people, it's not going to help them to take their insulin medicine if they don't have food in the refrigerator that's going to help them stay with a healthy diet. Like the combination is so powerful. If you don't have adherence to your medication, but 
it's because you don't have transportation to get to the local pharmacy because you don't even understand their delivery options. We're really having, the, these are just monstrous gaps. And so I need that social determinant of health extracted out, looked at, analyzed, and targeted back to how we create different kinds of interventions that happen outside, like likely the four walls of your physician's office where you've traditionally gone for care. So you look at all of these pieces, they, do we have a big problem here to solve? Is this really going to impact us? Is there a positive and a negative? There's an absolute positive to this, but only if we do it right or as right as we possibly can every day. To your point of the first part of the pledge is test and retest. Well, you're going to test and retest, and one day on that third or fourth or tenth retest, something's going to flag, which means now you have to go in and take action. What is that action? And that's really what we're starting to flesh out now is as a team, we've agreed on the hard problem we need to solve. There's an industry challenge that helps kind of pique our interest. There are inquiries from Congress and we're actually, hmm, this is really interesting. Let's make sure that we're staying on our front foot of what the upsides are while we also manage the risks. And then we had the opportunity, quite frankly, when Equal AI came forward and said, we have this concept of this pledge. Would this be something you'd be willing to do? And it kind of fortified and galvanized the team to say, we could talk about this for a long time to come. We know this is important. Let's take the leap now and really get serious about this. And what I'm really proud about is um, the participants we brought to the table in the beginning, um, people on their team self-organized to go after this. We have so much passion and so much conviction from so many parts of the company about why this is important um, that we have people organizing to go do the work on top of their day job as necessary, as part of their day job as appropriate, as their day job where where necessary. It's really, really incredible, to be honest. But you've got to get the right participants around the table to have a balanced view of the risks and the opportunities. Because I'll get super excited about the opportunities. Perhaps my compliance or legal partners might say, let's be really cognizant of the risks. And those are the balanced conversations you got to have. Sorry, again, I get very passionate about this. Your your passion is 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 very evident, Heather, and it's it's shared by Miriam and myself. So it's music to my ears, and um and it's just really I think great to hear you walk through this journey that you have been on as a company. It actually made me think. I want to go to a question that we usually start with because you are so passionate so clearly in this conversation. I'm curious what your journey has been personally in terms of how you developed that passion. Uh, you've had an illustrious career um, across financial services and other parts of the economy. Uh, I'm just curious sort of how you developed this personal passion about this issue. Um, and you know, perhaps I'll tack onto that. Any advice for um, anyone coming up earlier in their careers who is interested in this sort of stuff and wants to, to make an impact? Yeah, well, thank you for the question. I. Um, feeling kind of my core passion is um, democratizing access. And so call it democratizing access to your money, call it back in my financial services days and making sure that whether you had a penny in your bank account or millions of dollars in your bank account, you got access that was equal and fair and yet you were part of the system and that you could utilize your money see, as you see fit and, and how and whenever you wanted. The digital revolution really makes that a core possibility where you can serve all parts of society in ways that are super exciting and equitable. You then come into healthcare and my gosh, 
the access, I, I thought I was doing mission-driven work in financial services, and I love what I did, and I'm, I'm passionate about what we were able to accomplish over the years, and I'm proud of it. But wow, you start talking about people needing access to health um, in some of their most vulnerable moments of, of their life and how meaningful it is when you can create the right interventions uh, for those who are in need. This is so important that we do it and we do it well and we do it right and we get it right as, as right as we can because all of the automation and digitization we can do here um, will be not if, if you don't have a connection back with your human physical part of the world, so your human primary care physician. So we've got this really interesting problem that we can digitize, but we also have to get you referred back to your physical um, physical doctors and care teams, move you back into digital, and what can we do to help you stay healthier, longer? You can stay in your home longer than you could in the past. How do we make sure um, you're here to go to your granddaughter's wedding? I, like these are real things that we have the potential to do here. And so um, I want to make sure that we don't have folks come in and say it's too dangerous. You can't possibly don't do this. Um, stop progress because of fear instead of using knowledge and um, appropriate governance and controls to really create the, the future of what healthcare can be in America. And that's kind of, anyway, that's why I'm passionate about it. Um, what I would advise for people who are kind of coming up in their careers, um, solve with the customer first, right? Um, Human-centered design is a new practice that is really powerful for a reason. And it matters in advanced analytics as much as it matters in any specific experience or purchasing experience. You, data and experiences are more intertwined than they've ever been. And your your activity is going to generate new data exhaust that can be applied to the next actual action that you take. That's a beautiful thing. It's a scary thing, but you should learn to understand it and appreciate the power of what it can do for your end customer. And if you have the North Stars taking care of them and serving their needs, um, the technology will follow. You can't. You can pick any technology you want today. It may or may not be here five years from now, but it certainly can enable you to do some very amazing things. But keep uh, their true. Your true north is as their needs and what helps them, and you will do just fine. And then just know. Advanced analytics and they'll be a part of it. And so be smart and, and, and learn about it the best you can. You don't have to be an engineer. I'm not. I'm just a compassionate business person looking for ways to apply technology in new and amazing ways that create wow experiences and make life easier. I'm so glad you raised that point because I think too often we think of AI and ethical AI as something that needs to be solved by engineers or computer scientists. And it's frankly not fair to them. And it's too easy of a pass for everybody else. I, I really love your uh, entree into this as not from being from computer science and, and being a business person who wants to do her best to serve customers. And, and, and that means using AI and that means thinking about trustworthiness. And hey, one of the best things I ever did coming up through the ranks, I surrounded myself with brilliant people. So software engineers, data engineers, data scientists, great design and product people. Um, I'm none of those things at my core, but I'm passionate about the combination of what those skill sets can bring to 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 life for, for end consumers. And so be smart about hiring smarter people around you so they can help you be great at it. So how about that? If you're not in computer science, that's your path in. That's always good advice. And it seems you've been able to do so much 
in within your industry, within your company. Um, but as you've tried to work through the best ways to build and develop and support trustworthy AI, is there a role for government? Is there a way, if you were talking to government, US, uh, I, given your domestic work, whether it's Congress or the administration, that you would like them to support the work that you're doing, whether it's something they should do more of or less of? Uh, listen, I do think there's a role here for for public entities and government in particular, and it would be great not to approach this from a world of thou shalt not do. I would love for us to establish appropriate principles by which we should be striving to do, you know, make sure that we stay within these guardrails, because this is a space where um, if we lock down and clamp down and and provide regulatory guidance versus principles by which we should be operating, I think we're we're going to lose the essence um, of what we're trying to do, and it could create more problems in the end too, right? If you, this is a technology, and, and we're in a space and time where test and learn is going to be really important, and none of us have the straightforward answers, and to presume that we do, I think, would be risky, and so creating um, better guidance as to rules of the road would be a great thing. Um, you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there, and you can you can probe me a little bit more, but I I would love us to agree on how we all operate in ways that we believe will be um, with highest quality outcomes and with um, most diverse perspectives brought to bear and limiting bias from creeping in without locking us down and putting us in boxes. Well, we, we won't put you too much further on the hook than that for, for, for policy recommendations to the administration. Um, I, I think that's, that, that's, a, that's a great place to start. And there's I think um, you know a lot for all of us to do. I think this 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 conversation has really highlighted that there's work that can be done by industry, there's work that needs to be done by government, and there's surely a lot of collaboration that needs to happen between them. Um, Heather, we, we we like to end with a question um, which um, uh, we we give to all of our guests, uh, which which is fairly simple. It's a it's a rose, a thorn, and a bud around AI. So the rose is something that you've seen or experienced recently that you're psyched about. Um, something positive. The thorn is something that um, you are not excited about or uh, fearful of, and the bud is something that you're, you're you're seeing coming down the pipeline that you're really looking forward to in the future. Hmm, what an interesting question. Um, I actually, I think um, my rose is kind of my everyday interactions with Amazon, which I just continually find like the, the bar keeps getting raised and or, you know, if I can find time on the weekend to catch a Netflix, like those simple experiences in life are so elegant and so simple and no way I behaved five years ago, right? And so it is, yes, these companies have raised expectations of mine, but they've also changed my behaviors. And now I love the world that I get to live in with the ease of, of moving across platforms and, and the speed of by which I get things delivered to my flipping doorstep. It's incredible. Um, so I love that. Um, but I'm also going to offer you, um, I think the, on the other end of the spectrum, the bud is how do we um, take the elegance of what we're seeing in more sim simpler parts of our lives? Not that there's any of this is simple. These logistics are incredible and it frees up a lot of our time and energy. So this is a good thing. You apply it in healthcare. I think the bud in healthcare is 
wow, we can aspire to do such incredible things to, again, remove waste, prevent fraud, uh, reduce costs, reduce friction, and improve actual health outcomes for people in society. I, I, there is just so much to be done here and so much power. And how do we do it, again, in a way that um, makes us all proud and gets us to the right answers? And so things like the Equal AI Pledge, I would argue, are really important opportunities and instruments for us to employ. Thank you, Heather. You've given us so much to think through today. There are so many pieces of your journey, I think, that will inspire others to follow suit. So we thank you for the important work you're doing so that others in healthcare and across industry can aspire to have the same kind of impact that you are by building a better customer experience, protecting your client base, uh, and creating efficiencies that are appreciated while also being mindful of the embedded biases and, and building trust. Exciting times. Well, thank you again for the time today. I appreciate joining y'all. Thank you so much, Heather. Thanks, Heather. Well, Mark, I'm so glad that we got to talk through and our listeners got to hear about the in-depth work that Humana is doing in the AI ethics space to really bring about more trustworthy outcomes. Yeah, I, I have to admit, before this episode, I was not fully aware of just how sophisticated Humana's thinking has become and, and how deeply integrated into their activities um, uh, addressing bias in AI has become. And I was just incredibly impressed by the work that they're doing as an institution and also Heather's individual leadership in that, as well as her passion. Um, just an incredible, um, incredible perspective and, um, and, and energy there. And like we talked about in the episode, I'm so glad she reminds us all that it does not require a PhD in computer science to have impact in this space. She clearly brought her passion to do good and to innovate uh, and to ensure that she's innovating safely uh, to her work both in the finance space and, and now in healthcare, both areas where it's so needed, uh, and invites us all to play a role in ensuring that we follow her lead. A hundred percent. The last thing that, that I'll say that really, I think, impressed me and, and, and got me thinking was how she thinks about the relationship between what Humana does and what the broader ecosystem is doing. Uh, and thinking about not just what happens within the four walls of her organization, but also how they interface with their suppliers, with their customers, uh, perhaps even with their competitors. Um, it is an ecosystem, healthcare, uh, as are all of the other industries uh, where AI is being deployed. And companies have a lot of uh, capacity to shape not only what they do themselves with respect to AI and bias and ethics, but also who they choose to partner with and whose work they choose to elevate. And so I just thought that was really um, an important point that she raised and something that, that, that gives me a lot of food for thought. I couldn't agree more. And I hope for all the companies and individuals out there who are not in a position to currently take the Equal AI pledge, that they will follow that third piece and ask their vendors, ask their partners, are you testing for bias in AI in the way that Heather explained? Because I can imagine no better way to ensure safer, effective, efficient AI than if we all take it upon ourselves to ask that question. A hundred percent. Well, lots of lots of um, food for thought for, for all of us. And, um, and, and yeah, looking forward to the next episode. Indeed. 
You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback, and if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 